So I pulled back and let fly, and I hit the tree right in the middle. <laughs> and the deer jumped straight up. And I thought, he's going to give me another chance. My dad loves the outdoors, especially hunting and fishing. He's 84 years old now, which means he's got a lifetime of great stories to tell. So that's what this show is. I'm Eldon Nelson, and this is Hunting and Fishing Stories with my dad, Gene. So do you remember when you moved from, or when you first tried a compound bow instead of a recurve? That must have been uh, a real, I mean, that that is a real jump forward in terms of how how much power you have and how much, how long you can hold the, uh, how long you can hold before releasing. I mean, everything. Well, one of the reasons I switched over to a compound out of the recurve is that shoulder was bothering me. And uh, Hmm. to pull that recurve back took a lot more energy and it took a lot more pulling uh, strength when you got a full draw right. to hold on to it. Yeah, it's... it's so that was bothering me. And so I, what I noticed with a compound, once it reaches its peak draw weight, then it relaxes. And so you could pull it full draw. And it, it the hardest point is before you come back to full draw. And so I could hold it longer and it was faster. And... Uh, after I learned how to shoot the compound, it was probably a little more accurate. The arrows were going a little bit faster, so that was my reason for switching. Is I was having a harder time pulling back to full draw with the old recurve. How long could you hold back a recurve before you well, started to shake? You I have. Now <laughs> yeah, you only pull back for a few seconds. Yeah, and it was a matter of pulling back and letting fly. Soon as you uh, want to, so not a lot of time to aim with no, the recurve. No. A little bit more time with the compound, and even so, you were still just using uh, a finger release, right? A finger. Right. Release. Yeah, I, I really never cared for the mechanical releases or other ways to otherwise to release. Mm-hmm. I just shot what they call instinctively, and uh, one of the examples of. One of the problems with that is I was hunting for deer one day up on the Uncompagre Plateau here, not too far from Grand Junction. And uh, it was the middle of the day, and I was just sneaking through the woods. And I could see a nice buck deer lying down right behind a tree. Hmm. And uh, he was halfway covered. The prime shooting place was right behind the tree. And... uh, I thought, okay, I'll just shoot right next to the tree. So I pulled back and let fly, and I hit the tree right in the middle. (laughs) And the deer jumped straight up, and I thought, he's going to give me another chance. So I pulled back and let fly again and hit the same tree a little bit higher, and that was the only time that the deer was going to let me shoot. 
And I decided what happened is that in my mind, I was going to shoot right to the side of the tree. But I was, when I pulled back, I practiced shooting instinctively by looking at the target. And so when I pulled back to shoot, I was looking at the tree rather than him. And so I hit the, twice the same place I was looking, and that wasn't what I wanted. In that way, it sounds like uh, your activity of choice, archery, is a lot like mine, uh, mountain biking. We, uh, when you steer, you it, we we have all learned to not look at the rocks on the side of the trail. Uh, what you look at is what you is where you are going. <laughs> it's very much the same instinctive aiming thing that it. If you if you stare and fixated a rock or a, tr- a tree trunk, there's a good chance you're going to clip it. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah and I think that's exactly right. That's what I concluded is that in my mind, I'm going to shoot next to the tree. But in reality, when I had everything I'm lined up and aiming and looking and shooting instinctively, I was looking at the tree to miss. Yeah. And I hit the tree twice. I thought, well, at least my aim was pretty good. <laughs> I just didn't want to hit the tree. Probably a life lesson there somewhere. Hmm. I'm not sure what it is. Well, let's see. You wanted... One of my favorite hunting stories. Yeah, I would love to hear one of oh, my, I was just your think, favorite hunting story. I was thinking of just one that we uh, had packed back into the Cold Creek Wilderness area. And it was a long ways back in with horseback. So who's we? Well, Jerry Woodland and mm-hmm. me, hunting friend. Then a guy that we knew that had horses and packs and was willing to haul our stuff back and leave us for a week. Okay. So... Never hunted there before, but one afternoon I decided to go up the head of this basin. And when I was walking in that direction up through the trees, a blue grouse was on the ground. And uh, I ch- usually I'd carry one arrow, just in that case I saw a blue grouse. And I decided I wanted to just try to clip his head off and then take him back to camp and eat him. And so I'd shoot the arrow and miss. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd fly up the hill a little ways, and I'd go get the arrow, and I did that two or three times. And finally, on the last one, my arrow hit a branch and sailed all the way down the canyon. And I well, that ends the blue grouse hunting. And that is gone. So it was mid-afternoon. I went walking down through the Quakeness from downhill and came across the game trail that I had been walking on and walked a little distance through the trees, and just on the other side of these patch of quaking aspen was an opening on a hillside. Mm-hmm. And right at the edge of it, as I stepped almost to the out, out of the quaking aspen, was a bull elk. And he was looking at me, but he was broadside, and I thought, there's not a chance in the world I can take an arrow out of my quiver, I can put it on the string, I can raise the bow, and I can come to full draw. And he must have been the last of the dumbest elk in the world. Because I, he just stood there, and I thought, rather than just shoot him through the lungs, I'll just aim a little low and shoot him through the heart. So I let go, and I knew I made a hit. And unbeknownst to me, there's a bunch of elk behind him just over the hill, and they all ran away. 
So I thought he was with them. And uh, I went over and I looked and looked, and I couldn't find any blood. Give me a sense of the distance when uh, between you and this elk. He was about seven steps away. Oh, he was really, really close. close. Yeah, and uh, I looked and looked and looked. And I thought, well, I know I hit him. And finally, this whole herd of elk had run down the hill, and I thought, well, maybe his hoof prints are mixed up with them somewhere. I still couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. And then walking back, I thought, well, I'm going to go back up to where I would always mark where I shot from. So I dropped a little piece of tape there. And Why do you do that? So in case you want to go put it back together and, and look. Because and, if you just guess, you might guess wrong and not find the place where you shot again. Right. But when I was walking back up the hill, I thought, well, I think I can smell one. And bull elk have a distinctive smell. And so I kept walking back up and found the place where I'd shot from and where he'd been standing. And then rather than look the distance where all the other elk had run, something caught my eye just right down from us, just almost right out in the open. And there was the bull elk, dead as could be. Hmm. And I just... And I, that's the one that I smelled. So I got him and dressed him out. And we came up the next morning with the horses and packed him out. And that was an easy shot. An easy shot and a first day of the week. <laughs> well, it almost was. The, I think that was the outfitter, the guy with the horses. We packed that one out so I could take care of it. Mm-hmm. And then... With uh, just going back up, and Jerry stayed up there to hunt. And so I could walk back in. It was a few miles. And since I didn't have anything to carry, just, and I'm not sure I even took my bow because I was just going back up to help Jerry. And anyway, I would have so. I thought that, you bring one, I mean, just in case you see another blue grouse, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I attribute. Hunting a blue grouse to getting a bull elk. Yeah, that that was a wonderful piece of luck. So, just seven steps away, and it gave you the time to to knock your bow, or I mean, yet to get it an arrow from the quiver, knock it, draw, and shoot, and just it stared at you the whole time. Yeah. Well, and, that and elk looking straight at you. Yeah, that elk must have not seen a human for <laughs> ever. Yeah, that's what I thought at first. Well, he's really close, and there's not a chance in the world that I can reach down, take an arrow, yeah. put it on the string, raise the bow, and make all those motions. And I thought, well, he's still standing there. This is so. That was a interesting. <laughs> elk hunting experience it was just meant to be did jerry get one that year i don't think so i think he had a chance but uh, that was a year that he started using a longbow oh that's right and uh he he just needed it to get harder and worse for him yeah he decided that uh, the recurve and the compound was too easy so he got a longbow and he got up 
where some elk were moving along a trail. He found a place to sit down. And he hadn't expected anything so soon, but along came a bull elk. And he's sitting down on the ground with a longbow. And there's no way that you can be sitting down and draw a longbow. No. You got to stand up. And I guess you could hold it sideways. But well, that. yeah, I think he thought about that. <laughs> but he just... Uh, it doesn't seem like a, a necessarily a great way because you still would only be able to get it to half draw, right? <laughs> so he, uh, he tried to stand up and that elk wouldn't stand for that and it, it was gone. It was not as dumb as yeah. the one you had shot. <laughs> so I got even with him about putting your broadheads on, right? I said, oh, if you shot your recurve or old right. compound, you'd have got that elk. <laughs> Sounds like there was some friendly competition. Anyway, those were good days. Yes. For sure. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for my dad, you can email me at eldennelson at gmail.com. That's E-L-D-E-N-N-E-L-S-O-N at gmail.com. I'll have more stories soon. Thanks for listening to Hunting and Fishing Stories with my dad, Gene.